It's also a reminder, men, we do meet every Thursday morning at Martin's, Concord Martin's for coffee and Bible study. We're going through 1 John right now. If you're a guy wanting to get connected as well, this would be a great time. Join us on Thursday morning at 6.30. Every third Sunday of the month, we also have the coffee and donuts. We are Gospel Community Church looking to foster and build community. One of the ways we do that is staying after the service, having conversations with one another. So if you'd like to join us, you can do that on the third Sunday of every month. I believe the last thing that we have is a membership class. And the membership class, I don't have a slide for it. September the 19th is our membership class at 5 p.m. If you're interested in membership, if you want to hear more about the church, join us on the 19th. Well, if you would join me in prayer as Ben brings the word. Lord, you are good. You are truly, truly good. And you're good because you took a sinner like us and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed. And so, Lord, may we have great joy this morning knowing that you paid the penalty that we rightly deserved and what a gift that that was. And so, God, as we approach this service, may we give all the glory and honor to Jesus Christ because it is him and him alone who we should exalt. And we are overcome with thanksgiving, and we are grateful for that sacrifice. Even today, 2,000 years later, Lord, may we remember that and what you've done for us. Would you be with Ben this morning as he preaches from your word? God, may, it be, may, may we sense the presence and power of God this morning through your written word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. As we were singing this morning, Psalm 46 came to mind. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is worthy of our praise, is he not? Even in the midst of what we're going through, even in the midst of all the, the things that we hear about going in the world, you know, like the scriptures say, like, you'll hear of wars and all these different things and earthquakes. Like, I, I'm not here to say, like, the world is about to end, but surely it seems like God is coming quickly. Uh, may he come quickly. But in the midst of it all, we have no need to fear because our God is a refuge. Well, we're in the book of Acts, so let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're finally making it to 6. Didn't it feel like we were in chapter 5 forever? Uh, glad to be in this section. What a great opportunity it is for us to open up God's Word. Well, a week ago Saturday, I left our house in the morning to go run a couple errands, and I dropped one of our daughters off at Oxbow Park. And I kid you not, the second I walk into our house coming back, I heard this blood-curdling scream coming from another daughter. And so outside I went, and I will have a very hard time forgetting what I saw. And I saw my daughter holding her arm, and there was a bone that was sticking out in a way that it should not have been sticking. Now, it wasn't out of the flesh, but it was not normal. And to, to, to say this lightly, I was, I was kind of freaking out. I had no idea what to do. All I know is that at that moment, our family had just experienced a great threat. I, I was not equipped to do this. I was not equipped to handle this. I was not equipped to take care of whatever the situation was. And so up we loaded her into the car and, and I drove off to the ER. And by God's grace, uh, we found out that it was... Just a dislocated elbow. And doesn't that sound terrible? But, I mean, this was, this was a week ago, Saturday. I was thinking I'm going to be stuck in the hospital. I was ready to call Aaron and say, Aaron, you're preaching tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it was just like what's going to happen here. And by three hours, we were in and out of the emergency room, by God's grace, with just a dislocated elbow. Well, if, if we didn't have the benefit of having somebody who is gifted in that area of being a doctor and the nurses that cared for her, we would have been in deep trouble. 
But the beauty of it is, is even though this threat came, there was a solution. There were doctors that we could go to that had been through the proper training and were able to take care of our daughter. And, and, and we're having to, like, calm her back down again because she's wanting to move it around and she's doing somersaults. And I'm like, you just dislocated your, your elbow two weeks ago. you got to chill out. But the same thing is true for the body, isn't it? Like, we experience things in the church that the pastors aren't all equipped for. There's no way that we as pastors and elders can handle all of the different things that come our way. It's important for us to understand that we work together as a body. And what we're going to talk about today is a couple church threats. We're going to see a solution to those threats. And then we're going to see the power of serving. And so follow along with me as we read Acts 6 starting in verse 1. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should pick up preaching the word of God to serve, to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us here on our own. And that when we open up this book, Lord, we're not just opening up words of man. These our God-inspired words. God-breathed words that are useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, keep us from growing familiar with this. Keep us from being sidetracked by other things that are tempted to draw our attention, Lord. We have your very words in front of us. Lord, would you open our eyes, would you take the blinders so that we could see what you have for us, Lord. That we would see Jesus in these words, Lord. That we would be challenged and motivated properly by the gospel to go and serve the community, Lord. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this individually, Lord. It takes a church. And so, God, would you use me this morning to proclaim your truth. And would you open our eyes. And help us to leave change this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this isn't the first time that the church has been threatened. We've talked about this before. Uh, they've gone through a season of being imprisoned. And so there's persecution that has taken place. After all, Jesus himself was crucified. And, and already they've been arrested, the apostles, a couple times here. And even as they were dismissed last week as we read... They were beaten before they were freed. And persecution is only going to get worse for the church. Not only has there been persecution, but there's also been corruption within the church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? And that they had conspired together to sell a property and give some of that money back to the church. But when they went to the apostles, they said they gave it all. They said they sold it for this much, this much and they giving it all back to the church. Meanwhile, they were lying about hiding it back, and, and they were judged for it. And they actually fell dead before the feet of Peter. Corruption was threatening the church. And here in our text this morning, we see a different kind of threat. But this is actually a threat that's coming out of a positive situation that's taking place in the church. There are good things that are happening, and because of the good thing, it's bringing these threats. Look again at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so what does it mean by 
these days. It's referring to the early church. It's referring to the apostles who are building the church. Uh, this, could, this isn't necessarily just weeks after the crucifixion. This could be in the, in the first couple years. And so these early days, what they're noticing is they're, they're still increasing in number. Notice that again. Increasing in number. The church continues to grow. Praise the Lord for those who come to Christ. But with this comes the first threat that we see. The, the neglect of care. There's a neglect of care that's going on. These Hellenists are complaining to the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so there were people in need and they, the widows weren't getting what they needed uh, for survival. Now the Hellenists were of Jewish descent. So they were Jews, but they were dispersed away from Jerusalem. They were dispersed around different places and they spoke Greek and Greek would have been the common language amongst the people. Uh, but for the Hebrews, they spoke mainly Aramaic or Hebrew. And so there was conflict here. They, there was a difference. And, and there was probably actually a lot of widows there. Because what they would do is they would get to a certain age. They would want to come back to Jerusalem so that when they died, they were buried there. Because they believed when the resurrection occurred that they would be the first to come. They would be the first to rise up. In fact, it's not uncommon for Jews even today to be married or bar to be buried with J Jewish soil, so the soil from Jerusalem. And so chances are they came and maybe the husband died before, and so there are all these widows who really don't have it, a way to make money, and so they need these daily distributions that are taking place. And because of the fact that these Hellenists were raised in a different culture than the Hebrew Jews, there was... Some tension there. And it could be that the Hebrews felt a little bit more holy because they weren't as progressive as these Hellenists who were raised up in the Greek culture. And so their culture would be different than the culture that the Hebrews were, were born in. They were more kind of infiltrated into society than the Hebrews were. And so there was tension. And care was not being given properly to the Hellenists. But now, because of Jesus' death on the cross, they were brought together, and they were one in Christ. And yet, as we look at all the good things that are happening in the church, it's important and worth noting that even in the early church, not everything worked out perfect. Not everything was going great there were these issues that came up. You, you see, the, the temptation can always be for us to look at some other church or some other place or something else and think, well, it's going better there. But the reality is that even in a place where people are coming to Christ in great numbers, there are still issues. The first threat is the neglect of care. But there's another threat here. Look at verse 2. And the twelve, this is meaning the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. See, the, the second threat is this, the neglect of preaching God's word. The neglect of preaching God's word. The Twelve apostles did not have time to be consumed with every single thing, every single need that there was in the church. They needed to prioritize what was most important in light of what they were called to do. They couldn't allow the physical needs of others to deter them from the spiritual need that the people had. They could not deter from preaching the gospel now we need to be careful here. The, the apostles aren't minimizing the physical needs of the widows. They're, they weren't acting like it was no big deal. It wasn't like as if they were saying, hey, we don't have time for them. We have far more important things to deal with, so why don't you guys deal with it? It's your problem, not ours. That's not what they're saying here at all. They're saying, well, man, this is something that we really need to take care of. But, you know, for us as the 12, we need to focus on the word. And so we need to find some men who can help with this need. Certainly, I don't think this is an opportunity for pastors to pass the buck here and say, well, hey, all i got to do is preach the word. All that other stuff is up to you guys. That would be a far-fetched thing. But think about it this way. 
think about this idea that if we cast aside the needs of others, let's say I go on a missions trip to Africa and in the midst of there, I'm encountering all these people who have these physical needs. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough nutrition. They don't have the medical supplies that they would need to help take care of simple things that for us are, are no big deal. We pop in an aspirin and we're good to go. But for those who have less uh, resources, it can be a major thing. But let's just say I go there and like, hey, I'm just here to preach the gospel. That's it. You don't, don't worry about that other stuff. I'm just here to preach the gospel. Doesn't that seem a little bit insensitive? And, and think about Jesus. When he came to the people, did he just pro- proclaim the gospel? Did he also come healing? Doing miracles, providing food for the many who came to listen to him on the hill. Remember that when Jesus fed the 5,000? He's looking after their physical needs as well. So this isn't saying that physical needs are no big deal. But it is a big deal if they are doing those things, the apostles are doing those things at the expense of preaching God's word. We can't neglect either one of these. And so both of these threats are real threats to the church in Acts. And so what is the solution? How do we take care of this major problem? What is the next step that we need to, they need to take in order to make sure these threats don't become something that would split the church? Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4 here. Verse 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they gather this full number of disciples. I don't know how many that is, but they gather their large group of people. I'm not, I'm not sure how many that is, but it included more than just the apostles. And they agreed that what was going on wasn't right. And that they were not the ones to meet this need. They needed other people to come alongside to fill the gaps that they couldn't fill. And they needed seven men to help them with this. But these were not just any kind of man. These weren't just like, hey, you can breathe, you're breathing and so, hey, we'll throw you in. Or, hey, we just need somebody and so, hey, uh, th- there's a need there. So whoever's willing, let's just throw them in the gap. They're, they're not looking at this carelessly. They weren't looking just for warm bodies. No, the solution was to find men who, first of all, were of good repute. Or in other words, they had a good reputation. They were looking for men of good reputation. They were known to be godly men over a long period of time. uh, What they need to be careful of is, is not just going after people who had just a moment of godliness, right? They weren't looking for people who, who here and there showed good things. But no, there was a, a track record of these people who were pursuing the Lord faithfully. They loved God and it was clear because there was a pattern taking place in their lives. For all you sports fans, uh, you've probably seen this, especially in football. These quarterbacks, like so the main starting quarterback of a team gets injured and they throw in the backup. And the backup comes in for a few games to end the season and they do amazing And they maybe even lead their team to a playoff that all hope was lost when their starter went out. But here comes this backup and he takes them to the playoffs. And so some team then is following and goes after this guy in the offseason and signs him to a big contract. And then the guy just flakes out because teams before didn't have a chance to kind of scout him how he played, but then they just kind of get used to the, the normalities of where he would throw and the plays that he would run. And so he ended up being a bust. Like this is not the, the people that the apostles were going after. If looking for warm bodies, caring who it is. They care about the reputation of the person that they are, are going after because they see the legitimacy of these needs. They must be people who have stood this test of time. They've walked through the valley and come out the other side stronger in Christ. But not only were they to be of good reputation, the solution was also to find men who were full of the Spirit. Men who were full of the Spirit. Now, this brings an interesting question. What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? Does that mean like what, we're speaking in tongues? Like, They're healing people. They're going out and performing all these miracles. Is that what it means to be full of the Spirit? Well, the opposite would be 
be full of the flesh. And so to be full of the Spirit would mean to be led by the Spirit and therefore producing the fruit of the Spirit. Turn with me real quick. Keep your finger here. Turn to Galatians 5. This is certainly a scripture I would encourage you to memorize. So if you have a pen and you like to underline, these are scriptures that you should underline in your Bibles. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. We want to know what does it mean to be full of the Spirit? It means that are living out these characteristics. Verse 22 says this in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So a person full of the Spirit, is living out these characteristics on a consistent basis. They're not perfect. There's nobody who, who is nailing these 100% of the time. There was one person who did that, and his name's Jesus. <laughs> We're not nailing it, but these are people who are consistently living in these ways. Now imagine if they got somebody who had a short fuse, who was not patient. And so they're not really full of the Spirit. They're lacking patience. And here comes widows to receive some food, and they're like... You again? I can, you don't look that old. You walked here just fine. What are you coming back here for a need? Why don't you go get yourself a job? <laughs> Imagine if that was the kind of person who is receiving these widows who are dealing with a new culture that they're trying to get used to. Their husband, they lost their husband. Their, their, their culture was way different than here where women didn't really have jobs per se. So it was very important that these men... We're full of the Spirit. Imagine having somebody like Judas who all the, that's been given away and they lose self-control. They're seeing what they're giving to people. And now they're like, well, I want some of this. Like, I have a need. I think I deserve some of this. Character matters, doesn't it? Unfortunately, I think we live in a culture today, and I think the church falls in that, where often we value charisma over character sometimes, don't we? We value giftedness over what the person is like on a day-to-day basis. Character matters. Looking for seven men, good reputation, full of the spirit, and lastly this, full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. There are many who have a good reputation. Many people are full of the Spirit even. They're living out Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but it doesn't mean they're necessarily full of wisdom. This isn't a negative thing. There are plenty of people who I know who are amazing people, but they're just not going to be somebody who's going to lead a ministry. They're a strong second chair, and here's the beauty of second chairs. If you're a first chair, you realize often, like, ministry can be overwhelming, and you need somebody there who can help come alongside you, encourage you, and build you up. They're never going to be on the front page. They're never going to be up on stage. But boy, do they help serve Christ in his ministry. So this isn't a bad thing. But when it comes to people who are being thrust in a place of, of leadership, being full of wisdom is important. I define wisdom this way. It's knowledge being lived out. Knowledge being lived out. It's not just being really smart. Otherwise, you might see a lot of kids leading churches. <laughs> you guys ever watch like, like spelling bees? And are, smarter, are you smarter than a fifth grader? And you get some of these kids on there. They're spelling words that I have never heard of in my life. And they're asking, or, like, what's the origin of the word? I, I, you could tell me the origin all day long. And, and these words, I'm not going to be able to spell. I have no idea. Using a sentence, okay, I still don't know how to spell that word. How can you, hearing the origin and knowing how it's used in a sentence, know how to spell these words? Clueless. There are plenty of brilliant, smart people. But if we're not putting the wisdom of God into practice and actually living it out, then what's the point of all the knowledge in the world? Wisdom includes knowledge, but being knowledgeable does not mean you are wise. They were looking for men who were living out what they said they believed. This is so vital in today's world, isn't it? I mean, how many pastors do we hear about on a regular basis who had all the charisma in the world, they had all the giftedness in the world to communicate, and yet they have a moral failure? 
or they are dominant leaders. I'm listening to a podcast. I won't tell you what it is, but it's just despicable the things I'm hearing of what this pastor had did to his people and the oppression on them. But he was a gifted communicator. And sadly, in America especially, we often value the gift over the character. May we not be a church that does that. Character matters. So the solution, what's the solution to these threats of neglect of care, of neglect of preaching the gospel? It's to find men who are of good reputation, who are full of the spirit, who are full of wisdom. And when those things are in place, working in place, what happens is powerful. And we see here the power of serving. We see the results of these things taking place. Look at, at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. A proselyte is just somebody who's not Jewish, not born a Jew, but converts to Judaism. So he's a converted Jew. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This result we see by placing these godly men where they need to be is this. The first thing is unity. First thing is unity. That's what happens in the church even for us. When we get the right men in place who are helping to carry the load of all that needs to be done. It's verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they're seeing this need, the apostles are hearing the need, and they agree that this is a legit need, and so they meet it. And notice, uh, all these men, these are Greek names. And so we can, I think it's suggesting that they're actually Hellenists. And so these Hellenists are being neglected, these widows, and so let's put Hellenists in leadership to help make sure they're cared for. And the name order matters here, because we're going to hear about it very soon, next week. We're going to hear about Stephen. Stephen's going to give his life for the gospel. Stephen was a man of high reputation. Notice a man who, he, he, was, he was a legitimately a godly man who steps even out of this role of serving the tables and serving the widows to actually proclaiming the gospel. And we're also going to hear about Philip the same way who was sent out and witnessed to the eunuch. We're going to hear about them. And the rest of the people we don't really know much about. But nevertheless... They chose these men, and it brought unity. It brought pleasure to the whole gathering. They were united through the threat. You know, sadly, sadly though, in a lot of churches, people leave because their needs aren't being met. And instead of bringing it to the elders, the leaders of the church, they often keep it to themselves, and then they make a big stink when they leave. And they try to pull people with them, and hey, they didn't meet my needs. They didn't care for me this way. And meanwhile, the, the leadership doesn't get any kind of understanding of what's going on. Like there's a lot going on, even in planting our church. And there are needs that we don't always meet, and we need to hear from them. And we need to be responsible and go to the leadership and say, hey, I need. And then maybe you're the person who can help meet it. Like, Zach and I have a limited capacity. The elders have a limited capacity. Certainly, we have a responsibility to help care for things outside of just preaching the word. But we can't be consumed. We can't possibly meet the needs of everybody. We need everybody. And when we agree and work through these things, instead of allowing them to separate us, it brings great unity. Another need, another result of people working together was this. People were cared for. The people were cared for. The need for the widows to be fed was met. The church worked in unity together. And instead of causing dissension, the apostles listened. They saw the need that was being expressed. And they put men into place to meet this need. The church is full of needs, isn't it? And the more we grow, by God's grace, if we do, the more needs there are going to be. I mean, right now we have about 140 who attend regularly. We have two pastors plus two elders. Is that really enough to care for all the needs of the church? It's impossible. We need other people to come along and help care for the needs of those in here. 
How awesome is it when every member of the church works together to meet the needs of the church? That's the way it's supposed to be. Amen? The results get better here. Look at the first part of verse 7 again. And the word of God continued to increase. Isn't that great news? The word of God continued to increase. This would not have happened. It would not have been possible apart from people stepping up and taking care of the needs of the people. This would have been impossible because then it would have been put all on the, on the, the elders and the pastors of the church. And they would have neglected the preaching of the word. Think of it from this standpoint. What if, you know, God has primarily called me to be the preacher of the word here, primarily. But what if we decided that we, want, we should have a food pantry? Our food pantry is good? Absolutely. Amen for food pantries. But let's say, like, it's all falling on me, and we're open five days a week, and people are coming consistently every day, and we're feeding people. Come Sunday, I have nothing prepared. I'm opening up Acts for the first time. Is that a good thing for the church? But all the needs are being met. We cannot neglect the preaching of God's word. But that's what happens if we put all of the load and all the responsibility on the pastor and expect them to do all the work. It's impossible. But when we work together and we help carry the load, the gospel goes forward. The word of God increases. As needs arise in the church and godly men and women step up to fill the needs we have. And I am able to focus adequately on the word of God. Then the word of God increases. There's one more result we see here. The word of God increased. And then the last part of verse 7 says this. And a great number of disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Not only did it bring unity, not only were people cared for, not only was the word of God increased, but the disciples multiplied. People came to Jesus. People repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ. This, my friends, is the church being the church. If everyone does their part, the results are amazing. The power is strong. Unity takes place. The needs of the people are cared for. The word of God increases and people come to Christ. Oh, the beauty of church work. And notice who is amongst those who are saved. Did that jump out to you like it did to me? Like priests were coming to God. When you hear the word priest, are you thinking of those who need salvation? <laughs> I'm thinking, wait, aren't they already serving God? And yet here they are coming to Christ in multitudes. Now there were probably thousands of priests there in the town, and they were, many of them probably poor, had nothing. And they're seeing and benefiting probably from the care of the church. They're reaching the needs, they're caring for these priests, and they're like, these people are living out the gospel far more, they're living out what they said they believe, far more than these other religious leaders that we're following. Probably many of them are Sadducees who denied the resurrection, but what they're seeing is Christ being lived out in the church, and they are coming to Christ. They are responding to the gospel. Isn't that not amazing? The same thing happens when the church is the church. Like we have to ask ourselves, why do we think people were coming to Christ in droves like this? First of all, we have to acknowledge this. It's God's work. He is the one who brings the change. It's people hearing the gospel and responding, and God is drawing them to himself. And he can do so whenever and however he pleases. He has pulled people out of darkness in all different kind of ways. And ultimately the power lies with him. I, I think a well worth spent Sunday would be, and we're not going to do this by the way, so don't worry for those of you introverts who hate getting in front of people. But how amazing would it be if we just had a Sunday where everybody came and shared their testimony. How Christ rescued them. That's why it's so important to be in community and so encouraging when I hear brothers and sisters who are in the darkest places and God rescued them. Those who were raised in the church and thought they were saved, there was a different deep kind of darkness of legalism 
And then their hearts are softened by the gospel when they come to Jesus. God is the one who changes lives. But there are some other things at play that I think draw people to Christ. First of all, their unity. Their unity was a testimony to the people around them. When you look around the world, do you see a lot of people working well together? Right? Or do you see a lot of bickering? You're going to work and you're like, well, that person gets more favor than I do and they've got a raise. Why'd they get, I'm way better than them. And so goes on. Politics. The church in many instances. We're so divided right now, so distracted. So much angst in our church today. I have a pastor friend who's still facing divided congregations over COVID, over vaccines, over worship songs that we sing, instruments that we use in worship, and many other what I would say are secondary issues. But when the church rallies in unity around what matters most, that which is of first importance, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when that happens, it brings people together, and it is a wonder to the world Because they don't see it. Broken families. Many of you have tasted and seen the brokenness of the world. But when the church comes together and puts our differences aside, forgives one another, loves one another, is willing to leave in when we have disagreements versus making arguments on Facebook. A lot of keyboard warriors out there. Can I just let you know that keyboard warriors don't win any disciples? You probably heard this say, people don't know how much, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The church has got to start being the church. And when we are unified over the same thing, it people, it leaves people in wonder. Even the angels look and they see how God has saved people and they cannot comprehend the amazingness of that. Unity brings people to Christ. You ever been to a sports event and all of a sudden those maybe who you didn't like, you find out they like your team and all of a sudden you're on the same team, right? Like, oh, we're cheering for the same people. You hate the same things. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's a taste. It's a little glimmer of the unity that should be between Christians. The fact that we are worthy of condemnation and we have been rescued should leave us so softened to the point that we can't stay bitter long. We put Christ on the cross because of our sin, and yet he forgave us. How can we not also then forgive our brothers and sisters when they sin against us? Oh, the beauty of unity. The picture of the gospel to a world that so desperately needs to see it. Here's another thing that's attractive to the church. When we care well for another, when we meet the needs of those around us. And I'm not just talking about writing a check and sending money. Certainly that is part of caring when there's a need that comes up that's too much for you. But I'm also talking about when we're faint of heart, when we're depressed, when we're full of fear and we share that with our brothers and sisters in Christ and they bring God's word in a powerful way. You ever have that happen? Like somebody brings the scripture right when you need it. And when we see, this also contributes to unity, doesn't it? When people see us genuinely caring for one another, even though we may have different political views, even though we may see life a little bit differently here and there, we're still working together, coming to the point where we understand one another, asking good questions instead of just arguing all the time. It's okay to disagree, amen? It's not okay to fight and lose our testimony because of something that we believe so strongly and that's not the gospel. When we love each other, when we care for one another and meet the needs, it is attractive to people. But if the message that we proclaim isn't backed by the way we live our lives, it's no wonder why people reject the church. It's no wonder why people don't come back. You probably know of some people who look at the church as just a church full of hypocrites. Usually when people tell me that, I just say, and there's room for one more. (laughs) We're all hypocrites, aren't we? Every person on the face of this earth is not 100% consistent. And that's when forgiveness, that's when repentance comes into play. And when we we come, I mean, how how many of you, I'm not going to ask you to actually raise your hand, but how many of you 
have either said I'm sorry to somebody, asked forgiveness from somebody, or have had somebody ask you for forgiveness. It's a lost thing in our world. We can be so caught up in our pride, but when we humble ourselves and we seek forgiveness, we ask for forgiveness, that is a picture, that's a testimony. That's when people start coming to Christ because the church isn't 100% accurate, but you know what? We're consistent. When we screw up, we go. I mean, my kids, I, I, every time I get up here, my daughter's right here in the front row, and I think, man, they have to listen to me after this week. <laughs> Did not have a good week as a dad. <laughs> short temper, short fuse. We're all going to have our moments. What matters is what we do. Do I go back and have I repented? Have we repented to when we fall? We're all going to fall. It's not about nailing it 100% of the time, but that's the gospel. We remember, remember what Christ has done for us. And we remember that he forgave us. And so when people sin against us, we can't help but remember what Jesus did for me. And so, yes, of course I forgive you. So as we conclude today, what does all of this mean for us? What can we take away from this passage of Scripture? First thought is your pastors and elders can't do it all. And I, and I, I do want to start off by saying I don't feel like you guys are, have that kind of attitude, and so thank you. I don't feel like you guys have this attitude of, hey, you're going to do it all. But I do know it could be a temptation, and I do know we're going to fail. I do know we're going to let things are going to fall through the clack the cracks. We're not going to care for somebody that the way we should. And I just ask that you would help carry that load, that you would gently remind us when we fail. And even in that, if you see a need, look to fill it yourself. We don't always see the gaps, but you see it more than we do. That's why we do small groups, because we can't possibly care for 140 people. My desire would be, my desire is going to, I'd sit up here all day on a Sunday and care for you as you need, and you, and you bring it forward. But I know that when we break up into small groups and there's 12 to 14 people you get to know intimately, you can care for the church that way. After all, the scriptures doesn't say pastors uh, do the work of the ministry. Is that what it says? It says pastors equip the people, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Together we can do this. Find a need, fill it. I, I would encourage those who are you're in small groups with. Our small group leaders, we've asked to kind of serve a lot. Number one, they're serving by leading a small group. Number two, we've asked to clean. Number three, we've asked to help serve donuts and coffee. Uh, and here's what I would say. Like, don't let your leader be the one that does that. Maybe this week, your action step could be to go to your small group leader and say, hey, you know what, I want to take care of cleaning. And if it's just me, I'll do it. Because I know you've got so much more to care for. It's not just about taking the load off the pastors and elders is about also thinking of those who are serving in big ways like small group leaders. I feel kind of bad about the pressure that we put on them. But like it's responsibility of you if you're in that small group to look to fill that need. Why? Because in filling the need, you are ultimately serving Christ, right? And that's what we lose sight of. We Scriptures in Galatians says don't lose heart in serving. Don't lose heart in serving. It's not about just filling a need the fact that when you're doing it, you're doing it for Christ. Give grace to your leaders. The same threats that we mentioned today are threats to us all as well. And we are all in this thing together. We can't make this church thrive for God's glory without you. And you can't make it thrive without us. Together we are called to serve and let's all strive to be the solution. Let's be the ones who see the needs. Let's be the one who strives to have a good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And as we seek the Lord with all we've got, we will reach unity. The needs of the people will be met. The word of God will increase and we will see people come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the example. I thank you for the challenge of looking inwardly to see, am I serving? Am I contributing to the growth of our church? Am I contributing to the care? Or is it easy for me to play 
couch quarterback. It's easy to be the backseat driver. It's easy to sit and criticize the leadership for what they're not doing. It's a lot harder to actually step in the game. Lord, I thank you for, from what I can tell, there's not much of that, Lord, but I know that it's a temptation. Lord, I pray for me. I pray for Zach. I pray for Aaron and Mark. Lord, that we would carry our weight that you've called us to, that we would not excuse anything. Lord, that we not look at this passage and think, I don't need to care for the people. i got to care for the God's word. But may our people, Lord, may they also be uncomfortable just coming and sitting and then leaving without doing anything. Lord, help them to step out of their comfort zone. Lord, maybe they don't know where to serve. And maybe the step would be, where can I serve? Lord, and then help us to be faithful to, to, to point the people out, to put people in leadership and to encourage them and build them up, Lord. God, we are broken. There's a million things I could think about this week of ways that I should have done better. I ask that you forgive me, but I ask that you give me the strength to carry on, to press on, Lord, to make no excuses, Lord. And I pray, I pray that we would be a unified church, Lord. There's so much disunity in churches all around the world. That's what destroys the church. The world doesn't destroy the church. Those in the church destroy the church. I pray that you would protect us, Lord. Protect us from pride. Bring us unity, Lord. Help us to genuinely see the needs and meet them. Lord, let us do this together. God, thank you that you are so patient and kind and merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, together, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do so much. God, we just want to glorify you and we want to see disciples made. So, Lord, would you use us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing this again. I will build my life. You guys sit down real quick. I want you to find the white card. You should have a white card on or near your seat. If you could throw those next steps up for me, that'd be great. Just throw them up there right now. It'd be amazing. So here's some things I want you to be thinking about this week. Uh, some action steps included what we've already said. Number one, me memorize Galatians 6.9. That's the one that says that don't lose heart in doing good. Don't give up doing good because it's hard. Keep pursuing that. Uh, read 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 is, is an excellent study. It also talks about like persecution that will come. Don't be surprised. A great scripture for you to read through as a family, as a couple, discuss together. Uh, identify growth. What areas do you need to grow? As you think of the, the man that, that they were talking about here, like be the man and the woman that's called to. How, do you have a good reputation with those that you work with, with your family, with those in your neighborhood? Work on your reputation. Are you one who is full of the Spirit? If we're not in the Word of God, we're not reading the Word of God, we're not meeting with our Savior, we're not going to be full of the Spirit. We don't, we don't wait for it to get zapped on the road, like to step on the 
you know, it's easy button, and, that, and that's how you get filled with the Spirit. Like, it takes pursuit of the Lord. It takes time with Him. Uh, maybe it's a matter of wisdom, just, again, being in the Word and putting what you know into action. Or am I putting what I know into action? Pursue growth. And then the last thing is be the solution. We have so many needs here. This is where the card comes into picture here. You know, first of all, I would love everybody. This isn't for, like, the wife to fill out for the husbands. Husbands, you better be filling this out too, all right? Fill this out. Leave it on your seat. We want to know where you're serving. Number one, we want to thank God for you. Number two, it's going to help us see, man, wow, you're serving it too much. We need to, like, make sure you're not getting burned out. We have people who are serving in multiple areas. And if you're not serving anywhere or you have a bigger capacity that you want to serve, encourage you, like let us know what you think. First impressions, we, we need more greeters, we need more ushers, we need people to just serve one another as they come in to be a welcoming face. We're going to start doing a little bit more things here with COVID kind of hopefully fading and then hopefully not. Every day it's new, I don't, so I don't really know where it's at today. Uh, but uh, we need more ushers to help serve in that way. Uh, part of the worship ministry, we would love to have more musicians, those who are gifted. Now, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, please don't, like, put your name out there. If you're going to be a distraction up here, listen, here's the thing, though. My favorite thing is when people behind me are singing their guts out and they can't sing a tune worth a lick. I, I love it because I know it's coming from a grateful heart. But the grateful hearts are better out here. <laughs> if you love Jesus, <laughs> was that harsh? I don't know. But, uh. It's actually, I think it's, a, I think it's a service to you. Like we don't want you to come up here and people be distracted by it, okay. Uh, and so if you can serve in any way, you play the drums, you, any of those things, we'd love for you to join the worship team. Tech ministry, they're always looking for people back there. Uh, somebody who has more hair than Brad and I would be great. Uh, ladies, kids, if, if that would be something that you would like to learn about, like you're a quick learner, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a tech genius to be back there, right? After all, Brad is leading our, no, I'm just kidding, Brad. Man, I'm going to be in trouble today. The elders are not going to let me up here. <laughs> uh, kids ministry, uh, looking to serve in kids ministry. Now, if you want to lead like a kids ministry group, you have to be a member. But if you want to help out, you don't necessarily have to be in membership, although we want you to pursue that. Uh, youth ministry. We are starting a youth ministry September 12th. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So that's coming. September 12th, 5 p.m. We're going to meet here in the church. We'll talk more about that later. But if you have a heart for the youth, uh, for elementary, or not elementary, for like junior high, high school, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, small group ministry. If you uh, wanting to get in a small group, if you have an interest in leadership, listen, we're not going to just throw you in because you say you're interested in leading. We want to get to know you. We want to put you in a group to where we can see you, uh, how you interact, how you lead, give you opportunities, help pour into you. Special events. Uh, maybe I mentioned, like, you're not in a small group yet, but you would love to help with cleaning. You'd love to help with coffee and donuts. Uh, any special events that you just have a gift and a love to serve in that way, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, facilities, if you're good at maintenance, cleaning the building. Uh, landscaping, if you love pulling weeds, I don't know why you would love pulling weeds, but if you do, uh, we could use some help out there. And so do us a favor, fill the card out, leave it on your seat, and we would love, if you're not serving yet, to find a place to serve. Thanks for holding out. I'm sure your kids are going crazy right now. But love you guys. Don't forget the power of serving and what it does. Have a great week.